glory to God the Father, God for us, and glory to Jesus, His Son, Emmanuel, God with us, and glory to Holy Spirit, God in us. We lift you up. We praise your name. We give you glory. We praise you that you so loved the world, Father, that you gave your only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. And that he came not to this world to condemn it, he came to save it. He came to save us. So we come humbly before you and ask that Holy Spirit will fill us with the life of Christ. That it would so shine in us that your kingdom would be apparent to all who see us at home and in our neighborhoods and at our work and in our community activities. That others would see in us a light that would attract them out of the darkness. Help us to live and to flourish in this exilic earthly life that others might be drawn to you. We ask it in the name of the Christ. Amen. You may have a seat. We're going to be in Galatians, the fifth chapter today. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, or got them on your cell phones or pads, whatever you've got electronically there. Galatians, the fifth chapter, is where we're going to end up. Listen to me. Follow along. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Change challenges us. Challenge leads us to trust God. Trusting God leads us to obedience. Obedience leads to health. Healthy things grow. You know, every uh, life has all these seasons, different seasons. And as I um, experience the season of life that, that I am in, it's been interesting to watch both myself and many of my deepest friends as we walk with our parents in the stages of their journey in which their bodies are no longer very healthy. And the very natural process of death is taking over. And it's been fascinating for me to watch both my parents and the parents of friends and to watch how they react to the knowledge and the understanding that they are dying. I've watched some embrace it. I've watched some fight it. 
it reminds me of the verse in Thessalonians where it says, we do not grieve like those of this world who have no hope. And I find that death has a way of re revealing some real spiritual realities inside of us. Now, along my spiritual journey, I found that oftentimes really profound spiritual truths are found simply hiding in plain sight. Think about this. What every, almost every story, every television show you watch, every movie that you go to, what is it that the protagonist, the hero of the story, is trying to avoid, escape, or solve? What? Death, right? Everybody's trying to solve the mystery of a death or escape death that's, that somebody's after them or avoid dying at the hands of an enemy. And what does every hero in almost every story and television show and movie, what is it that they are trying to cling to, to extend, to enhance? The life. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Almost every, look at, Wendy and I were uh, at, with our kids in the UK this last week or so, and we went to Warner Brothers Studios where we saw uh, the, the, sound, the stages where Harry Potter was filmed, and they had, uh, we got to be in the great hall of Hogwarts and see all the costumes and see all the stuff. And as I was going through the, the, mu the museum, basically, is what it is, I began to think about, think about all of our great epic stories. It's almost, the evil guy's always trying to live forever. That's what Voldemort was trying to do. He wanted to live forever in the Lord of the Rings. The ring has to be destroyed. Why? Because because of the power of the ring, Sauron is living forever. And you can't kill him unless the ring is destroyed. But again, there's this idea of we want to live forever. We were trying to find an escape, an avoidance to death. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In him was what? Life. And that life was the light of men. So for the very beginning, God reveals to us that we have a, very, a spiritual enemy that's working against us. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy while Christ has come to give life, that we might have life and have it to the full, he says. And it's not just about religious rule keeping. That's the thing that we get messed up with because then the enemy who is afraid of us following after Christ and, and experiencing this life tries to divert us into religious rule keeping, <laughs> into legalism, and following all the rules and doing all the right things. Why? Because that's not the way we experience life. Jesus said to the most religious, rule-keeping churchgoers in Matthew 23, woe to you. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside. You go to church. You look like you're righteous. You're following all the rules. But inside... You're full of decaying bones. Everything is dead and unclean. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, not die, but have everlasting life. I am the resurrection and the what? Life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he looks at Mary and says, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Pretty simple. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God says, This day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you, my people. And I have set before you death and life. Choose. And the further I get in my spiritual journey, the more I realize that it's really that simple. One of my favorite movie quotes from the Shawshank Redemption, either we're busy, we're either busy living or we're busy dying. And even when it comes to some of the, the, the moral choices that we make, you know, statistics would say that in this room, there are at least a few people that right now in your life journeys, you're messing around with somebody that outside of your marriage. Statistically, I would just say that there's at least probably a few people in this room. And we all know that adultery is one of the big Ten Commandments. God doesn't like it. But here's what I want you to hear today. It's not because Jesus came to condemn your adultery. Jesus came because he wants you to have life. And if you are messing around with someone who is not your spouse, then something is dead. Either in yourself, in your marriage, or in your relationship with Christ. Something is dead. Bob Dylan put it really well. I took you home from a party and we kissed in fun. Few stolen kisses, no harm was done. Instead of stopping when we could, we went right on. And suddenly we found that the brakes were gone. You belong to someone else and I do too. And it's just crazy being here with you. Like a bad motorcycle with the devil in the seat. Going 90 miles an hour down a dead end street. Something's dying. Statistics would say that there are some in this room, probably females, who underneath your Sunday best that you wore to church this morning are the scars where you cut yourself. And I don't claim to understand it, but I know that I've talked to especially some young girls who have struggled with this, and one of the things that I have heard them say is, I do it to feel something. Because Everything inside is dead. In this room, there are many of us that are chasing after our appetites, whatever it is. Our appetite for greed, to get as many possessions, to have the most toys, to get all the stuff. Some of us are chasing after achievement, 
that we can put that benchmark, uh, that notch on our uh, resume that we have achieved this, we've done something with our life, I've become this great thing, whatever it is in my job or in my career, I've made it to the top, I've climbed the stairway. Some of us are, are falling after the appetites of sloth. And I see it a lot of times, one of the things that really struggles, you grow up with everything and all of a sudden comes time to grow up and live life and get a job and be responsible. And you know what? I'd rather just stay in my parents' house and play video games. It's an appetite for sloth, for laziness. And the thing about it is all of these things that we give ourselves to end up with something spiritual dying inside. And I'm saying these, these not to kind of, again, not to condemn it, but to call it out and say simply, here's the thing. We want you to live. I want you to have life and have it full and have it be healthy in the way that Christ came to give it to you. We're in this second part now of our uh, year-long theme of exile. And as the teaching team was getting together this past week at Kevin's, we were talking about, well, what are we hearing from people about the theme of exile? What's, what are people saying? And, and we recognize that there are at least some people who are struggling with the theme of exile. It's like, exile? Are you kidding me? Pella, I was like living in Disneyland. How are we in exile? And I get it. But could I respectfully submit to you that if, if you're struggling with that, then your eyes aren't open to see the bigger picture. You're only seeing the surface. Because the whole theme of exile is something about, it's about something deeper. It's about the life and death that goes down into the very reaches of the spirit and the spirit realm. That exile is what we're all on, this earthly exile. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And one of the things that's interesting is that the Israelites, when they went into uh, to Babylon and were taken into exile, there were those, let me grab the, uh, everybody got the, in your bulletin, the core values, the, what we're going through right here, right? Now notice, I want to just see, notice on the outside is the flourishing in exile. So the flourishing, the fruit, is, is here on the outside. Inside, we've got identity and belonging and purpose and intimacy. And on the inside, at the very core, is word and spirit. So when the Israelites went into exile, many of them maintained their connection with God. They maintained their identity as the children of God and God's people. They maintained their belonging with one another as the 12 tribes of Israel. And they felt that they had purpose of making it through the exile to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem and to continue the great story that God is telling through history. But there were also Israelites in exile in Babylon that chose to embrace being Babylonian. I guess this is my new home. Set down roots, start worshiping the Babylonian gods, start doing the Babylonian things. And they gave themselves completely to being in Babylon and being Babylonian. 
So when the remnant returned to Jerusalem, there were a whole ton of them that just stayed right there in Babylon because they'd lost their identity. They had lost their intimacy, their belonging, and their purpose. So what we're pushing into in this year of exile is that we're in exile just simply because we're alive on this planet. And this world is not our home. And so we want to push into this. And as we flourish in exile, we're understanding that the flourishing comes from the life within us. The life to the full that Christ came to give us. And in the years of studying about exile and about God's word, I'm finding that, that the life that Jesus came to give us, that resurrection life comes when we follow him into the deaths of ourselves. Okay? Are you living or are you dying? What's going on inside in that quiet place when you are alone, sitting in the darkness? Is something living and growing or are things dying? As we try and understand what it means to flourish in this exilic sojourn on this earth, we're going to push for the next seven weeks into the fruits of the Spirit. So go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're kicking it off. The next seven weeks, we're going to go through and look at every one of the things that Paul lists as the fruit of God's spirit in us, the fruit of God's life being present in us. Starting in verse 16. So I walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Death wants what's contrary to life. God wants life, the enemy wants us to die, okay? The spirit is contrary to the flesh and our fleshly appetites. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not sure whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts, now circle that word acts, the acts of the flesh, okay, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, uh, debauchery is basically, you know, partying, drunken, partying, drug, sex, rock and roll. Um, debauchery, the things that are against God. Idolatry, worshiping things that aren't God. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. It goes on. Dissensions, factions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I want you to see that in this list, what is Paul listing? He's listing all of the human appetites of this world that are then given free reign wherever we find our pleasure. And we all have different appetites that we struggle with. But when we find ourselves acting in these ways, things are dying inside. Goes on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, if your life is flourishing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, there isn't no law you need because you are naturally going to be following the way of life. Now, one thing that I want you to understand, number one, in the earliest manuscripts, there's a break after the word love. So it's the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, stop, joy, peace, patience, kindness. In other words, the peace, patience, kindness, joy, gentleness, self-control are all descriptors of love. In other words, the one fruit of God's Spirit is love. Contrast this with 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul describes love. Love is what? Patient. That's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit. Love rejoices with the truth. What's that? That's joy. Love is kind. That's a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when Paul is saying the fruits of the Spirit, is the fruit, the fruit. And notice it is singular. The fruit. He didn't say fruits of the Spirit. He said fruit. The fruit is love. And that love is described by patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. In his book um, on Galatians, Tim Keller had four observations that I'd like to share with you this morning. As we think about growth, healthy things grow. Growing things bear fruit. So four observations. One, growth is gradual. Isn't it interesting he says the acts of the flesh, because we just act in the moment, usually when we're indulging our flesh. It's an act of the moment. But fruit of the spirit, fruit requires growth. We know that from being farmers, right? It requires growth. And it is a gradual process. You don't see the growth. It's only by time that you can look back and measure that things have grown. Are things growing in your life? That's my question. Are you growing? Are you busy living or are you busy dying? The things of God, are they growing in you? I think one of the things that we could ask ourselves as we begin 2020 is this. How have I grown in the last 10 years? Can you see it? Maybe even the more, the more scary thing is to ask your spouse or your parent, your brother, your best friend, have you seen spiritual growth in me in the past years? Am I a different person than I was 10 years ago? And if the answer is no, then we have other questions that we need to ask. We also have to understand that you just don't decide to be patient. <laughs> you don't just decide to be kind. You don't just decide. I'm... It, it is the growth that takes place as we are connected. So growth is gradual, number one. Two, fruit is inevitable. If you are healthy and living, you will produce fruit. <laughs> it's gonna happen. An apple tree produces apples because it's doing what an apple tree does. It's inevitable. If we are connected at the core, if we are connected to word, God's word, and God's spirit, we 
we'll begin to understand our identity, our connection, our purpose, our intimacy. And out of that, inevitably, we will begin to bear this fruit and flourish. But if you aren't connected to the source, the flourishing will never take place. But if you are, the fruit's inevitable. It's going to happen. Okay? So are you connected? Three, the fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. Okay? It is rooted in the Word and the Spirit. That's the source of the life. That's the source of the flourishing. So the apple isn't alive because it's an apple. You could take an apple and hang it from a dead apple tree, and the tree's not going to be alive. <laughs> the apple is alive because it's connected to the tree that is alive. Jesus said, I am the what? Vine. You are the branches, and every branch is meant to bear fruit, which is going to be inevitable if we as a branch are connected to the vine, who is the source of life. Are you connected? Am I connected to the source of life so that it is flowing in me, so that I'm understanding, having a more intimate relationship with Christ, understanding my purpose, understanding my identity in connection with other branches on my tree? Fourth, growth is symmetrical. And Follow me on this. This may be the most important thing I want you to take away today. Growth is symmetrical. The fruits of the Spirit are not the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit that we studied in 1 Corinthians a couple years ago is, well, the Holy Spirit gives to each one a gift as the Spirit deems for the good of the body. So my spiritual gift is prophecy, or my spiritual gift is teaching, or my spiritual gift is hospitality, or whatever it might be. We each have different gifts. Fruit of the Spirit all grows together. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit is love, as exemplified by patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Now, if you're like me, and let me confess, for a lot of my earthly journey, I thought of the fruit of the Spirit like the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I'm kind of good with patience, but gentleness, no way. <laughs> so I'm kind of gifted with this fruit, but not with this. That's not the way this works. They all grow together. Now, we may have inclinations because of our personalities or the traits, the, the type that God made us, or that we have a leaning towards. Some, things, some pieces of the fruits of the Spirit may be a little bit more natural in us than others, but the reality is, is that every one of the fruit of the Spirit the descriptors are all growing together symmetrically, all together into this fruit of love. So how is the fruit of, of love exemplified in our daily lives? How do others see it? A couple things that God's word talks about is one, forgiving. Forgiving those who've wronged us. Forgiving a parent that walked away. 
forgiving a child who went off on their own, forgiving a spouse and their injuries against us, forgiving that friend for hurting us so deeply. That's the fruit of love. It's exemplified by blessing instead of cursing. When we are injured by choosing to bless that person, not to cuss them out. It's exemplified by acting in love to everyone, our spouse, our child, our parent, our neighbor, our enemy, that stinking Republican or that stinking Democrat. We act in love. It's exemplified in the little daily choices that we make to think and act for someone else rather than myself. It's exemplified by seeking to actually hear somebody who I don't agree with and to understand where they're coming from rather than judging them. When I was a young man, God brought a mentor into my life. Then for three years, basically, this man poured into me uh, and helped me grow, discipled me. And my first assignment from my mentor, I was a sophomore in high school, and my assignment was this, memorize Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. On it you shall meditate day and night. And be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then your way will be made prosperous, flourishing, fruitful. And then you will have good success. And my mentor told me, he said, do you realize that that is the only place in the Bible where success is even talked about? You wanna be successful? Go back to the core. Word and spirit. So I memorized Joshua 1.8 and I began to to read and to study and to devour, to memorize God's word. The reality is, is that God says throughout scripture that, that his word is part of what brings us to health. His word is the conduit through which he can teach us, correct us, reprove us, train us in his ways. Without this word, we are not tapped into the source, into the core. So this, this year, one of the things that you're going to be noticing is that our action steps are going to be focused a lot on getting into God's word. We want to challenge you this year to get into God's word more than you ever have. How do you do that? I don't care. <laughs> There's a million ways to do it. 
People say, oh, I don't like to read. Do you know? Go to BibleGateway.com or YouVersion.com. You can listen to it. <laughs> Both of those for free. You can tap on the little speaker and somebody it will read you God's word. Awesome. Listen to it as you go to sleep or in the car. How hard is that? Listen to a podcast. Listen to others. Listen to God's word. Get into it. I regularly write a blog as simple as this. I read one chapter of Bible a day. I read one chapter every weekday, and then I blog about what I think about. It's as simple as that. You're welcome to, to join on and, and follow me in the journey. I go to a class. The, right up there on the, uh, out the information stand, there's a whole box of brochures about adult discipleship. And there are so many classes that are beginning. Get into God's word. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Memorize uh, Joshua 1.8. Great place to start. Help me. <laughs> I don't care how you do it. But will you, in 2020, choose to go deeper into God's word? Because that, along with the spirit in our lives is what makes all the rest of this stuff happen, okay? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And uh, this morning is Communion Sunday, which is awesome. This is one way that we connect ourselves in worship to the source. And we do it together on a regular basis. In fact, every Sunday, there's elders are here to, to serve communion. But a couple times a year, we do it. And we, I want you to know that everybody who knows Christ as your Savior or you want to know Christ as your Savior is welcome to take communion. Okay? Number two, um, we're doing this together, but this is also between you and God. And what is this, what is this about? On the night that Jesus was betrayed and the night before he was crucified, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is my blood shed for you. It is a new covenant between you and me in my blood. And as often as you get together, you my followers, you my, my believers, I want you to do this and I want you to remember me. And what is it that he wants us to remember? That life, resurrection life, comes when we die to ourselves, to our appetites, to our desires that wage war in our soul and bring nothing but death. Choose life, the life that came through Christ's death and resurrection. We're gonna ask the ushers to come on up if they will. The way that we do this is uh, the, uh, uh, the elders are gonna come up, thank you, and we're going to uh, they will hand out the elements, first the bread and then the cup. 
you are welcome to take, partake. We don't all do it together, just in your own. So this is time between you and God. When you take the bread, whatever you wanna do, some prayer, some time of confession, and whenever you're ready, go ahead and take the bread. Same thing with the cup. We'll pass it out, take the cup, maybe some time of prayer and confession, praying your desire to God, and then take it whenever you're led to, okay? And we'll end as we continue to worship this morning. Let's pray. God, I pray your blessing on this bread and on these cups. God, I pray for those who right now in this room are dying inside. Lord Jesus, through your grace, may your life be planted like a seed within them this day. As they take the bread and they take the cup, may your death be the conduit through which life is planted in them and takes root and begins to grow. In the name of the Christ, pray.